Welcome to Dear Human Resources. In each episode, you'll hear about current HR topics and trends from experts, both practitioners and researchers, with the goal of giving you an insider's look at human resources. I'm your host, Marilyn Germain. In this episode, John Ibrahamson, an HR specialist at the company Spectrum, talks about employees with disabilities and how HR professionals can best accommodate them. Welcome, John. Thank you so much for having me. I'm, I'm really excited and honored to be here. John Ibrahamson currently leads an HR technology team at Spectrum, focusing on learning, performance, and talent management. He's also been working in the field of human resources for over 15 years and has decades of experience with supporting those with special needs and organizations focusing on disabilities. John, how about we start with defining the term disability? What is considered a disability? Great question. And, you know, I was thinking about this, and there are a few ways to answer this one, right? There's, I'll put it into my own terms, because I think in the terms of ADA or the Americans with Disabilities Act, the term disability is more of a legal term, right? Instead of how we typically think of it as probably more of a medical term. But for me, as a child growing up in the 80s, I always equated the term disability with, with a physical disability. As you mentioned, with my decades of experience, my mom was a, a special education teacher. I was always involved with helping her, with volunteering for her summer camps. Even I was a, a special needs summer camp counselor in high school. I volunteered at the Special Olympics. So I always made the connection that a person who is deaf or blind or wheelchair user was disabled. And my thinking was limited to that. Over the past several years, in partnership with one of our business resource groups here, they're called the Abled Group, that persons with disabilities, it's far more vast than just the physical disability. And it's not just physical, like vision or hearing impairment, but also cognitive. And that's a big piece that I've always missed as a child growing up. And things like autism, or ADHD, or dyslexia, memory loss, any of those things that are cognitive, it's all part of that and lend themselves to some sort of impairment. And I think that's the key word is impairment. So it's not just physical. Now, what is the percentage of American workers who are classified as having a disability? Ironically, October is and was its National Disability Employment Awareness Month. So because we have an abled business resource group, I had all of this information pretty much fed to me every day for the month. So I have some pretty good statistics. And real quick, the National Disability Employment Awareness Month, it commemorates the contributions of persons with disabilities to our workplace and our economy. It ensures that people with disabilities have full access to employment by removing barriers and reducing the challenges they face. But that number is 61 million adults in the U.S. live with a disability. That's basically one in four adults. That's amazing. I, I never thought it would be that much. What are the top disabilities represented in the U.S. workforce? So the number one, and again, this comes from the CDC website, but this is also part of the newsletters that I got from my company. And the number one was actually mobility. So that could be something as simple as someone like myself could take for granted something like just walking up and downstairs or just walking in general. 
So mobility was number one. That was about 14% of adults that had a disability was the number one in the U.S. workforce. The second one was what I referred to earlier, which is cognition. So that could be any impairment that has to do with memory, maybe concentration or decision-making. That made up about 11%. So 25% would be the top two of adults in the U.S. workforce with a disability, or it's either mobility or cognitive. And the other ones are ones that were, are more common that we're used to, such as hearing or vision impairment, even self-care or independent living. Those are the others. Are organizations financially compensated by the state in which they operate or by the federal government for hiring workers with disabilities? In short, yes, all of the above. Now, I'll preface this by saying I'm not a huge expert in this field. I'm in HR technology, not necessarily in finance or payroll or anything like that. But I, I did partner with some peers here and I did some additional research. So there are plenty of tax credits and incentives available. Uh, eligible businesses such as ourselves, uh, we can receive certain tax credits to aid us in hiring and accommodating workers with disabilities. Many of the credits are awarded for expenses that we can incur, like purchasing adaptive equipment for workers with disabilities or covering the cost of modifications, right? Like um, we think about reasonable accommodations. I'm sure the most common that people have heard of is WOTC. That stands for the Work Opportunity Tax Credit. That's a federal tax credit. And that's available to any employers, again, such as ourselves, who invest in employees with disabilities or that face barriers to employment in general. So the most common one is veterans. Naturally, many veterans have a disability, whether if it's physical or cognitive. Another common one is vocational rehab referrals, ex-felons. That's another one where there are barriers to employment. So WOTC isn't just for disabilities, but a lot of targeted or audiences within that do have a disability, like I said, veterans. Now, the eligible companies can qualify for thousands of dollars, if not such as us, potentially hundreds of thousands of dollars in tax credits and incentives. So like another one would be a disabled tax credit. There's one called a barrier removal tax credit deduction. I think the ultimate challenge around this is twofold. One is that a lot of it is self-identified. So we're relying in HR here, we're relying on the employees to self-identify. And so there's challenges with accuracy there. So you need to make sure that when you're asking these questions up front, that they're clear to the employee. So I've been a part of a company previously, they'll rename, uh, remain nameless, where there was a, a question about veteran status that was very, wasn't clear. And we found out down the line that we had to revise the question and that we had to re-ask the employee population what that data meant. So the same is true for any questions regarding disability, ethnicity, race, all of that stuff, because your data needs to be accurate, right? You need to capture accurate information and make sure that you're getting the proper tax credits and deductions. But the flip side too, because this, what I've said so far, really just benefits the company for tax credits, but it's also important for the company to have accurate information on employees with disabilities, because the more of a disabled population that we have that identifies with the disability, well, then the more funding and budget that we have to improve our programs, right? To improve 
our support of the employee base. So it actually benefits the employees to self-identify with a disability, not just the company. And, and I think that's an important part that I wanted to call out. In terms of additional resources, I think the Department of Labor, I think it's dol.gov, irs.gov for the IRS. That's a great resource if anyone wants to learn more about credits there. Do they need to remain employed for a particular number of months or years to continue to get those benefits? Yeah, so that absolutely varies depending on the state, depending on the size of the company. The two things that come to mind when I think about organizations and legality and the fulfillment of the requirements are two things. One is discrimination, and then the other is reasonable accommodations, which I briefly talked about earlier. So in terms of like eligibility, I'll back up real quick. So I mentioned earlier the ADA, right? The American with Disabilities Act of 1990. That makes it unlawful to discriminate in any type of employment for a qualified individual, right? So like recruiting activities, pay and benefits, hiring or firing, promotions, training, any employment-related activities. That's one big component in terms of eligibility, in terms of, you know, that has some impact on the length of the benefits, or how benefits are applied or tax credits are applied. But then the other portion is that reasonable accommodation, right? And that can be anything that has impact on performing the essential functions of your job. Yeah, that was one of my questions. You know, I was going to ask you what types of requirements are organizations legally required to fulfill when employing workers with disabilities. And I guess your mentioning of reasonable accommodation is where we're going here. Yeah, that's absolutely part of it, too, in terms of the requirement. So I think the key there would be, is it essential to your job function, right? And that could be anything from like a modified work schedule, modifying your equipment or devices. I know like standing desks has been a popular one in, in the last few years. Uh, it could be certain headsets or keyboards or screen readers. I know if you've ever heard the term JAWS with a capital J-A, WS, that's a specific screen reader. So yeah, all of these things, and this is why companies receive tax credits, because that costs money to purchase these things and to provide employees with that. So yeah, the, there's a, a long and ever so changing list of reasonable accommodations that we're required to provide. A great resource for that would be the Equal Opportunity Employment Commission website, which is eeoc.gov. That's a great resource for that. What would be considered an unreasonable accommodation? Would it be a structural change in the building necessary for to accommodate someone with a disability or do you know? Yeah, I, I think it really just depends on, so we would consider it all reasonable if it's essential to your job function, right? So anything would be, I mean, everything would be reviewed, but anything in terms of unreasonable would be like, okay, and, and I'll just make up a completely random example, right? So if, if I have a you know, I need to have a coffee machine outside of my door, you know, with, with coffee made for me every single day. That's clearly unreasonable, you know, because that's not essential. Some may argue that it's essential to the job to have coffee every morning. But, you know, that that isn't essential to perform your job. I think the example that you used with the realignment. Now, reassignment of a, and I don't know if this exactly aligns to you know, the example you just gave with the restructure or the reorg, but reassignment to a vacant position could be absolutely part of an essential function to a job. So that does fall under a reasonable accommodation. 
I think about probably the most common one that people are familiar with, especially in my world with my team manages the, the learning and performance management platform, training materials, uh, policies, modified examinations. So, you know, all of that falls under that. So I, I think it really just boils down to, is it essential to your job? And if it isn't, you know, then protected by law, we wouldn't have to do that. John, what are the unknown benefits for organizations to employ individuals with disabilities? So the number one that I think is well known, and then I'll get into the the unknown, is is diversity, right? So diversity has been probably one of the, if not the most discussed topic over the past decade and how important diversity is and the benefits of diversity, right? That you bring in different perspectives. One thing I've seen with persons with disabilities would be bringing in the creativity, right? Because that population has to get creative on solutions because it's not the norm as far as what's available to that audience. And I think one, uh, in terms of, aside from diversity, one benefit would be And this is true, too, with CSR. So when you think about the uh, corporate social responsibility topic, customers gravitate towards companies that care, companies that are inclusive. If you think about when I mentioned CSR, that could be something as simple as political or environmental. But I think disabilities is, is a part of that. If you know that companies are hiring and recruiting and training and developing and retaining persons with disabilities, that's just part of their culture, then customers who care about that will gravitate towards that. So it's good for the bottom line. But one really interesting statistic that I found in some studies is that it said that persons with disabilities, they're reliable employees and they have higher retention rates. Now, anyone who's in HR knows that how costly turnover can be, right? And you know what? You don't even have to be in HR to know how costly turnover is. But I found that really fascinating in terms of the, the higher retention rate. That's something I think could be an unknown benefit. Another unknown benefit, and I'll end with this one, is the term universal design. So think about anyone who's ever been into a restaurant or a bar or someplace that is loud, and you see closed captioned on a TV. That's just one example of an outcome of innovation that happened because of hearing impairment, right? Like let me, someone who is deaf or hearing impaired, closed captioned for television or for training or video or anything was created as an innovation to support someone who couldn't hear or, or hear well. So I would say an unknown benefit for organizations could be some of that innovation that wouldn't exist unless you hired someone who was familiar with that. Let's talk a little bit about your current job. You lead an HR technology team. Can you explain what you do exactly? My company is about 100,000 people. Uh, we take up, I don't know, 40-something states in the U.S. And we are a decentralized company, but our technology, specifically HR technology, is centralized, meaning everyone goes through our system regardless of what decentralized business unit you're in. My team manages the learning management, the performance management, and the talent platform. It's all the same platform. So anyone who takes online training will use our system. Anyone who has a performance review or performance feedback or goal setting, all of that is in the same system. Naturally, it has reporting and also talent management, which could include, if you've heard of Ninebox or succession planning or 
any of that is all part of the same system. And, and one little piece of that system, it's called Connect, but we have our BRGs, our business resource groups. And part of that platform also includes social communities, which has been a hot topic over the last five plus years, where we have this platform that allows groups to get together online virtually and share information or best practices or videos or newsletters or books of the month, whatever they want. And we have five BRGs right now. And one of them I mentioned early on is called Abled. And that's our disability resource group where, you know, they, we just had the disability national awareness month where newsletters, we're pumping them out and, and really giving some great information. It also, we also have them for veterans and for women and multicultural and LGBTQ. So really great platform to bring people together, get them talking about topics that matter to them. And that's all part of you know, my, my portfolio in terms of responsibility for the technology. So let's tie in now HR work and employees with disabilities. How can HR managers better accommodate employees with disabilities? So I could probably talk about this one forever. And I, I think depending on your role in HR, so I'll give a couple of quick examples with mine. So we have a product group out in Denver where it's a product group that not only tests all of our products before they go to market. So that way, those with uh, customers that have disabilities will be using products that accommodate them. But we also leverage that product team in, in Denver to make our internal systems and processes and policies better. So I actually flew out to Denver a couple of years ago just to have them put my system through the ringer, right? To go in and be like, hey, we want our employees to make sure that our system, our learning management and performance management system is as accessible as possible. So please go through it. Let's go through all the pages together. Use your screen readers, like just rip it apart and tell me what's wrong with it. So that was the first step for me is to really not just having the awareness that this population exists and we should do our best to treat them as equal as everyone else and to remove as many barriers as we can, but really just ask questions and listen. So I went out there and said, look, tell me how our system could be better to support you. Now, some of that I didn't have control over. Like I don't personally design training. My system houses the training, right? So there had to be additional partnerships that says, well, how can we make our training better? I mentioned closed captioned earlier. That's, that's an example. For my system, it would be something like, you know, alt text is a popular one. So if you have images on a welcome page that doesn't use alt text, then whoever can't see the screen or is using a screen reader, it'll just say something like, you know, header one image instead of describing what the image is in the alt text. Those are simple ones, right? Using alt text, even in your email, for example, I have my spectrum logo in the bottom of my email. I actually use alt text for that. So whoever uses a screen reader, it reads the description of the logo instead of just saying image.jpg. Those are real small, quick things that we can do using the alt text and asking questions. I would say just, you know, get to know them, right? Get to know your colleagues or, or you know, your peers. And one key one that was interesting to me was, I'll, I'll call it disability etiquette tips. And this was discussed with me and, and that team because I wanted to get their feedback, was to ask before you provide assistance. I thought that was interesting. So don't just assume that a person with an apparent disability needs assistance. Offering assistance in broad terms, such as saying something like, hey, let me know if you need anything or 
that opens the door without assumptions of the inability. I've heard that before, whereby, you know, people feel offended. You know, they want to feel empowered, regardless of their ability or disability. And providing assistance is belittling them. Yeah, that's exactly right. And essentially, just like us, they want to be treated fair. They want to be treated with respect. They want to be valued. They want to feel like they're included and they belong. We have the ability as HR, especially the more diverse our company and our groups are, we need to leverage their thinking as well, right? Because that helps us make smarter decisions as leaders. It gives those employees confidence and motivation to do their best work. That's critical too, right? So when we hire a person with a disability and we include them and treat them as equals and and invite their ideas, that gives them confidence and makes our company better. It makes our bottom line better. It makes our product and services better. So I would encourage that as well is to make sure, I mean, we've all been a part of project teams before where it's a usual suspects, right? You go into the conference room or you join a Zoom call and it's the same people. It's the same directors. It's the same managers. It's the same VPs where it's important that you invite diversity into those meetings so you don't have the same perspectives. You want to have the different perspectives. So I would say one of the most important things as an HR leader is to get everyone involved, not just the usual suspects. So that's very important as well. Thank you, John, for your insights on workers with disabilities and how HR professionals can best accommodate them. You're welcome. I really enjoyed being here. Thank you for having me. It was an honor to be here. And I love this topic and could talk about it for days. So thank you for sharing that story with your audience. Thank you for listening to this episode of Dear Human Resources. In each episode, you will hear about current HR topics and trends from experts, both practitioners and researchers, with the goal of giving you an insider's look at human resources.